Mechs and board games are always is always a good. Uh... <laughs> Mechs and board games is uh, is always good, and mech board games and mech board games. I'm sure oh, I some of those. Yeah, I haven't played any. <laughs> no, well, oh wait, I played board games that have mechs in them, like Scythe, but I think I played a dedicated to mech board game. Welcome to episode 105 of the Player 2 Pixelcast. I am Deputy Editor Stephen Del Prado, and joining me tonight we have Rob. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm doing great. I know you are worried that people are going to get a bit uh, tired of your dulcet tones, but I can assure you nothing is further from the truth. And <laughs> when he saw that I'd mentioned mechs and board games on the potential topic list, he jumped at the chance. Ken! Yeah, well, I like to think that I jumped on before you, and then that inspired the topic rather than um, rather than the other way around. You you do have that right. I was just trying to make myself sound cool. I'm sorry, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> yes, people. Ken is uh, full of inspiration, and he did inspire me. And obviously, once we find out that uh, neither Tim nor Huso is going to be on an episode, we figure we can get away with you know the forbidden topics of mechs and board games. But, but in all honesty and seriousness, we're, we're not, though. <laughs> no, we do have a great topic lined up for tonight, but you'll have to keep listening for that. This is how I keep you on the line, listeners. Now, let's go through some of the things that we've been playing. Ken, I hear you've been playing something really new. Yeah, um, new-ish, new by my standards. I actually spent some of my own money on, on a game recently, which is... Uh, uh, my spending habits over the last couple of years have meant that I've actually spent a lot less on, you know, just, just games in general. So Elder Scrolls Online went on sale um, during the Steam Spring sale? I want to call... I want to say spring, but it's not really spring here, is it? It's... No. <laughs> Can we just say Steam seasonal sale? Yeah. They should actually do that because they should actually do that because it's always so sort of Northern Hemisphere centric. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, it's like crappy Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I've, I've picked up Elder Scrolls Online. Um, I've heard Huzo talk about it lots and lots and lots of times. Um if nothing else, there are, you know, recurring themes on this podcast. Me, Max, board games, you, the same, well, board games, um, Huzo, it's, it's, it's Elder Scrolls Online, um, Tim, it's always, uh, what's it? Nights, Nights into Dreams. Uh, so we've got, we've got our, we've got our weaknesses and, and, and everything. So I decided to just give Elder Scrolls Online a, a try. Um, because it was on sale, and Huzo talks about it incessantly and how he loves it so much, and if he had nothing else to do, um, he would be playing this all the time, and I thought that was pretty high praise. Um, <laughs> I've picked it up. Uh, I really enjoyed Skyrim um, when it first came out. I've attempted to go back once or twice, and I've always enjoyed my time in Tamriel, in Skyrim, in Morrowind, all those worlds um, of the Elder Scrolls franchise. Um, it is very much more like it's very much just more Elder Scrolls. Uh, it's but ugly. 
Um, do you mean like, uh, like, because uh, to I me, mean, like, I don't necessarily get Skyrim vibes anytime I look at it. It gives me more Oblivion vibes, and <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's a good thing. Because yeah, Oblivion uh, has not aged well in some ways. Well, I mean, it's it's all. I mean, it's all sort of samey. It's got that Elder Scrolls look to it, which is it, it tries to be quote unquote realistic. I think it looks like is there a tent? everything. Yeah, everything has like a thin veneer of Vaseline on it. <laughs> yeah, but, but I think I think like over the last four to five years, everybody's gotten accustomed to more bolder visual designs, more color. Mm. That now going back to Elder Scrolls, it's very gray and brown. Well, it's and, that th- it's that three sixty era of visual design that was hmm. pretty common. You know, we had our brown shooters, and you know. For all intents and purposes, Skyrim was more colourful than those games, but we're talking about something that's very getting very long in the tooth now. Like, we're closer yeah. to 15 years than we are 10 years now, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's this couple of things. There is the technical aspect of it, but it's also, I guess, the visual and artistic design. And it, it just, like, the armour... I mean, admittedly, I'm very low level. I'm only a level 9, level nine orc, um... Dragon Knight, that's my class, my race, and my level. Um, so I don't have the crazy designs and everything. But even then, like everything just looks kind of dull and muted, and everything is just sort of small, and everybody looks itty-bitty. I, I don't know how to describe it, but everything just doesn't, like when you compare it to 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 visual designs of oh even World of Warcraft where it's like it's big and bold and colorful mm. and over the top and exaggerated like this is very understated very in the opposite direction like everything in World of Warcraft is this is like in the complete opposite direction colors are muted design is muted um everything is very underplayed which is that aesthetic and i was on board with it with oblivion and skyrim um but after living with color for the last four to five years it's just like it's just not hitting the right notes anymore it's dated it's that that sort of design is slightly dated i think is part of it and also it's probably a scaling problem like i think ESO is operating in a much different scale than something like World of Warcraft in terms Possibly. of area I, design. Yeah, probably. And there is a lot of area. So that I mean, that's the other thing. Like uh, Skyrim and Oblivion games are you know, supposed to be the big open world RPG. And this is kind of it. It's pretty open. It's quite wide. Um, there's a lot of real estate to cover. Um and I think that therein lies. I so I mean I need to preface this by saying like I do enjoy it and I've been playing a lot of it. Um, and I think it's because I'm enjoying it that's why there are a few things that annoy me more than anything else. It's because like, oh, if only this sort of pointy bit was sanded down a little bit more, then you know it would make this experience like that much more smoother. Um, and it's it's kind of those sticking points which because I enjoy the game overall, it's those sticking points that annoy me more than it should. 
and they are minor annoyances, like visual design. That's a very minor thing because I'm probably about 12 hours in uh, that the visual design sort of irked me in the first two hours, but now I'm sort of accustomed to it. I still notice it, but it doesn't, it doesn't annoy me as much. Um, the game just does try to push you towards subscribing to their premium membership by like saying, oh, this thing is locked and you can open like, oh, your backpack, you've reached max, max, um, your max inventory, maximum inventory. You can't carry any more stuff. You, you know, you could have more inventory space if you pay for our premium membership, but you know, looks like you're going to have three. Yeah. Looks Big like premium have, vibes. Yeah, Ooh. it looks like you're gonna have to throw away a bunch of stuff. Um, I there is so much stuff to pick up. It's just ridiculous, and I don't know at this early stage what's good and what's useful. I, again, I think it's one of those like early RPG like um tropes where you're picking up every bit of trash, and I don't know at this point what's good and and useful, and I should keep, and what's actually mm-hmm. trash. You're picking up everything and using nothing. Um, absolutely. <laughs> and there is so much stuff. And it's just all these materials. And like, there's two different kinds of water. There's natural water and clear water. I'm like, I don't know what the difference between two are. And I've picked up another thing that says, oh, it's for poisons, but you need a level one solvent. And I'm like, I don't know what a level one solvent is. I'm not here and- to take chemistry class, Bethesda. I just want <laughs> yeah. to adventure stab- yeah. and stab things. I just want to stab things. There's 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 potions and Oh, recipes. no, the, the pH level of my clear water. Maybe that's the difference between those two water types. Oh. Have you checked the pH levels? I, I, I don't know. But it's like there's food recipes. There's crafting, like craft, crafting blueprints. There's potion recipes. There's like you can make houses and therefore you can make furnishings. Um, and everything you pick up, you can pick up iron ore and flowers and like three different types of dust. I'm like, I don't I know what is that. Any... Does that stuff appeal to you, Ken? Like no, it that does sort not. of granular level? No. I imagine this. I imagine there are some people out there who are like, I can smelt my own ore down into nails to build my chair. And I imagine for some people that's like right up their alley. And for me, I'm like, I, that sounds like the most tedious thing. Nope. I could yeah. be doing in a game. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Um, I, I have, I have to admit, I have already murdered someone in the game. <laughs> <laughs> and That's finally living out his darkest fantasies. <laughs> and and I didn't mean to. I was like opening, I was opening up random drawers, and then one of the drawers I opened up triggered a steal action. So the person's like, "Hey, stop robbing me!" I'm like, "I'm trying not to." I just wanted to poke around and look. I was just rifling through the drawers. <laughs> yeah, I was just rifling through the drawers. I didn't wasn't going to steal anything, and then they kept coming after me. I'm like, I don't know what to do here. And unlike Skyrim or Oblivion, where you can save scum. <laughs> yeah, this is there's there's no save scumming in this. There's They're no save scumming, so I can't like I I can't quit the game and come back and be like, okay, restore my old save point. Yeah, so the I'm guys like, just they're still harassing you. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm guess I'm gonna have to kill you because like you're not gonna give up. <laughs> 
And I if think you'd like I might... to hear more tales of Ken killing random civilians in video games, please tune in next episode. And and I think the other thing, like, and and, and again, I have to keep coming back and saying that I do enjoy the game. Um, but I think they are trying to do a lot with an old, what I think might be an old engine. So visually, really? it looks old. Really? Bethesda? No. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what happens is that there's a lot of load screens. Like, you have the open area, right? You have your big open area where you're walking, and there's so much walking. I'm very tempted to steal a horse because, <laughs> because there's just so much walking. Like, and there is a... Is a criminal apparently <laughs> theft murder how theft. low will he sink <laughs> well well i haven't kidnapped anybody yet or ransom yet. yes See the, yes yes. Yes. Like, yes you didn't even you didn't even think about that twice yeah. <laughs> so, oh there's so much walking and every time you walk you're in the big open world and then when you actually go to an area where it's a quest, it's like loading screen. It's very Skyrim where like every dungeon is a loading screen. And then you go into a building, it's a loading screen. And then you, and then you go to another area that's a loading screen. Like, how many, how many older consoles is this thing running on? Cause I know that sometimes that can be like the reason for that. Like it still has to run on like a PS4 base model or an Xbox one base model. So it, is like, you know, a dog's breakfast, basically, because it has to still target that platform. I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, I, I, I can't say. I'm, I'm assuming it has been out for, you know, quite a number of years now. So I have to assume that it is still on several older platforms, but it could be a platform thing. It could be just a straight-up engine capacity thing. Um, mm. Neither would surprise um, me, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I expect it sounds like it's an old platform thing for sure, but yeah. Now, Ken, what are you going to do if you get in the situation where uh, you're getting charged for the manslaughter that you've committed in this game and your horse theft and Bethesda offer to sling you a lawyer if you upgrade to the premium adventure (laughs) packs? Well, let me tell you about my comeuppance, right? My comeuppance was I, I murdered this this captain, captain something. I can't it's allegedly name, murdered. Allegedly. allegedly murdered. Well, it's a it's a named character, so I think I've I've probably killed off a storyline or two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, right? Uh, and then I exited the building. The the guards apprehended me and told me that my bounty was twelve gold. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna pay that. Bye. <laughs> Posted bail for twelve gold. See, in a jiffy. <laughs> if the punishment for a crime is a fine, it's only a punishment for poor people. And Ken is rich enough to afford his uh bail on a murder charge. So yeah, I just <laughs> tossed it in about the the... face and just walked off. I'm like, yeah, what you gonna do? Welcome to late stage capitalism in Tamriel, people. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh boy. <laughs> now, Rob, you've also been playing something that's uh maybe not old, but certainly has some uh retro vibe, shall we say? Proteus. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I originally backed this on Kickstarter when it was it was a while ago, and it came out fairly late last year, and I I finally wanted to sit down and play it. Um. I've been playing something else for a review that I can't talk about um, at the moment. Embargo's not up for, won't be up until 
after the uh, podcast goes out. So I pulled this out of my Steam library and had to play. Um, I tried to, I also got a code, I also backed, when I backed it, I got a code for Switch as well, but it feels right to play it on PC. So Proteus is a boomer shooter. Um, and one of the things that out of the box I love, I don't understand the story at all from what I've played so far. It's so, but we don't play boomer shooters for the story. Am I right? They have stories? Yeah, my thoughts exactly. I mean, they've got, Parentheses. Yeah. <laughs> There's like in, that, in, like in, that quotes, paragraph in the, quotes, that paragraph in the manual that you read. Yeah, the and the, on the the store, the storefront. Um, so this has this it has this very striking visual style. Because one of the things they've done is it's built in Unity, but there's a lot of post-processing and a lot of sprite work. Um, so it has a very distinct visual style. It's got a very good pace. And one of the things I love is there's some really inventiveness with the weapons and secondary functions. So I've only played the first mission properly. Um, so I've only seen three of the weapons, uh, your starting pistol. Oh, you've got, you've got fists, starting pistol, shotgun, and a, and a, you could dual wield like a machine gun and you could just hold them down at the same time for just like massive, massive carnage. Cause one of the things with the enemies here is that they do throw off a lot of blood when they, when they, when you're blasting them, which really so adds to the boss. What's the splat factor here? What are we talking about in terms of gore? Like, is, like it, a, is it up there? There's a lot of blood. You don't get, like, gore, but you get a lot of blood blood splatter from, like, these enemies, like, they're sort of enemies. But one of the things I love is, like, the shotgun, like, has this secondary mode where you charge it up and then you, you aim at an enemy, take it out, and it's sort of like, in the right situations, you could, you could one-shot enemies with it. You can't do that with the normal firing mode of it, but this charge is... It's sort of cool of like hiding around a corner, waiting for it to charge, then leaping around, taking out an enemy. And even the pistol, because like in most FPSs of that time, the starting pistol was trash. It was just like there for you to, to be able to do something until you got your first proper weapon. But here it's got this secondary fire mode that like does a burst shot. And it's actually kind of effective. So the gun, like the way the gun mechanics work, the way the guns feel and the way they, the damage capability of them, is really tight. It's got these, the levels are pretty expansive. I was like 15 or so minutes completing the first level that I beat so far. And just like the movement pace, all the challenge. One of the other things I love is um, you pass like respawn points. And so rather than like having to save scum, when you die, it's like you can restart the level or you can go back to the last nexus, as, as they call it, that you pass. So you, you don't lose too much. Um, and just the way the way it throws you in is kind of intense. Um, like you start out, you go through these things, and like you get to a thing. There's like a security thing that scans you, detects you as an organic, and kills you. And that's like you're getting your clone, your body regenerated, and then you dive in proper. Um, what I've played so far, I'm really digging is sort of this fast, like modern boomer shooter that feels like very retro in a lot of aspects of, of its presentation. There's a lot of pixelation in the texturing and the way that enemies are presented but there's a lot of wide open levels. The levels are decently sized and there's a lot of good pace that makes it feel like a lot of those ideas from older games in the nineties, but modernized in a way that's like, you can appreciate it for what it is. So I'm having a blast with it so far and I'm definitely going to put more time into it. Um, I'm, I'm like glad- Shovel Knight in that respect where like it's, it's not a retro game. It, 
it vibes like a retro game. It's almost like it captures your memories of what it felt like to play those games, but not the reality of that. Yes. I, I really like that as a thing because that's very much what it feels like. Like I feel like, you know, I'm remembering playing those older shooters, but it's, it's, it's all modernized. And so it feels really solid. Like one of these things I noticed in the menus as I was tweaking my setup was there's an option to turn the enemies from sprites into models. So I'm presuming that they generated geometry and then just generated like 2D representations at various angles of what you're fighting. And so I guess if you want to look a little more modern, you can do that. But I'm digging having the the sprite aesthetic in there. Like they've really just nailed it well. And there's some, there's been some interest, intricate parts in the level design, at least of like going back and forth across the map, which I thought was really neat. Um, I, I know a lot of shooters at that time just, you know, here's the start, here's the exit, and you slowly work your way towards it. But the fact you sort of work your way in and then work your way out, I, I really appreciate it. The team actually really nailed it. And there's a lot of other cool bits and pieces that are in there that I haven't had a chance to play around because, like, you've got to send up an account for cross-platform saving and stuff like that. So there's a lot of really cool features in there. Um, if you're if you're a fan of that kind of shooter and want something a bit different that, that throws back but feels modern and fresh at the same time, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, I, I really like this. I really like this trend where it's clear where the inspiration for some of these games are, but then the developers are not like they don't feel bound to just recreate the old thing. Yeah, they they they, they take clear inspiration from something that they love, but then they stretch their own. Like this is my take on it, and and I'm gonna show off a little bit and let, show you what I can do with my dev skills. And and I'm just like, this is actually a really really cool time in, to be in gaming, just because. But yeah, you don't you you no longer have to be just exactly the same as the old thing. You can be like, this is my inspiration. But this is my take on it, and 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 it's like yes, yes, I want to see your your interpretation of this older material. Yeah, I think that's interesting as well with those sorts of genres because obviously that's you know you get something like Stardew Valley out of that, like oh I love this kind of game, but nobody really makes it anymore, so I'm going to make one. Yeah, and I think you know in the way we've seen like Stardew transcend what uh, you know harvest moon was doing and sort of mm. build upon it to be its own thing because now we see you know games riffing on stardew rather than just riffing off harvest yeah. moon so yeah we sort of see that cycle expand and that i think is great for everyone just like you know seeing the the pen- potential for the medium wide it out and go go expand so yeah I'm, i've been having a ball with proteus um so definitely definitely gets a good thumbs up for me from what i've been playing okay. so far definitely be keen to check that out on my switch probably because I, I love playing things on my switch lately which sort of ties into what i've yeah. been playing so uh atelier riser 3 came out uh last week so naturally i've been playing atelier riser 1 because i bought three and realized i hadn't finished one or two and uh it very much seems like the kind of series that it's not particularly great to go backwards playing so they have made a lot of gameplay improvements uh in each entry so jumping to three and then trying to go back to one i figured meant i'd probably never finish one so i'm going to give that a red hot go um and it's you know quite good it's quite quaint it's you know just a like charming little jrpg with some battling and mixing ingredients together to make stuff and it's you know might come across as pretty twee, but uh, I'm enjoying it so far. It's, you know, I can kind of switch my brain off and just cruise around this kind of like little cutesy fantasy world for a few hours. 
um, which was a kind of a nice follow on from uh, Like a Dragon Ishin, which I uh, reviewed for Player Two uh, and found it quite competent. Um, it's a pretty solid entry in the series and one I enjoyed particularly because of its focus on uh, Japanese history and having visited a lot of the uh, places that are in it but not recognizing them because of the crazy amounts of urbanization that have happened in that country over a period of time, which I guess is probably most countries these days, realistically. Um, but it was a remake of a near-decade-old game that was released on the PS3 and PS4, and outside of its uh, facelift, it felt pretty creaky. Like, it felt like an old kind of Yakuza game, not even to the level of Zero and Six, which are now also getting closer to a decade old, interestingly enough, because it took so long for us to get them over here in the West. So I sort of, at the end of um, Ishin, which I think if you are a fan of uh, Japan as a, not just necessarily a country or place to visit, but also your interest in some of the history behind it and their culture and customs, uh, it's a really interesting thing to get a look at some of the semi- authentic, but also semi-fictional events behind the Meiji restoration and stuff like that. But yeah, as a, as a Yakuza sort of game, uh, a bit creaky and left me thinking that I'm kind of glad they've basically done with remastering all of the older games and bringing everything back. Cause I've, uh, I'm on Ken's bandwagon now. I just want that new shit. Like, um, I just want new stuff that feels of the now and doesn't feel like I'm playing a polished up decade old game. <laughs> uh, um, I've never played any of the Yakuza games. You really should. I mean, I'm... as much as anyone should play anything that anyone else <laughs> likes. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. if you haven't, um, I, like Yakuza Zero is a really cool place to jump in, and I think it's sort of the perfect entry in the series to sort of let you know if you want to play any more. So if you play that uh, for the first couple of hours and you're like, yep, I'm digging this, I'm vibing off this, cool, then you've got 10 other games to go and play after that if you want to, basically, Um, because you've got the Judgment games as well, which uh, might actually work better for some people because it's, you know, same sort of world, but you're a detective, so that's a fun spin on that formula. Uh, But also, if you, like, play it and you're like, oh, I'm not really digging this, then there's 10 games you don't have to worry about whether you should play anymore. (laughs) if that makes any sense. No, I mean, it absolutely does. And I know that the people who love Yakuza, like the whole series and all the spin-offs really, really love Yakuza. It's like, it's got a dedicated fan base, which that's obviously a reason for it. Like you don't, you don't build up 10 games and spin-offs and everything and have a dedicated fan base just by, you know, by being shit. (laughs) So, no, I, I think it's I think it's very much like, it's like it feels like a male targeted soap opera in a lot of ways. Like a lot of the events of the games and things, it's like you know, it's very emotional and dramatic and over the top, but also like it it can be very serious and very goofy, um, yeah. and it often like flips between those two, maybe a little bit too quickly sometimes. Yeah, but uh, I, I yeah. Th- there is. I was just going to say there is a there is a I, I guess a stream in 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 Asian drama where it's like 
that's a real man. That's a real man. And like, he treated me like a man and therefore I need to be a man. And it, it is very over the top and, and, <laughs> and overly dramatic. And it is very soap opera-y. And, but it's totally targeted at like, like, not dude bros, but it's kind of like, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I I am a I am a real man. Yeah. I, yeah. There is good within me. <laughs> I yeah. am honorable and and lovable and and loved because I am a man. And yeah, I will do exactly. the right thing and the honorable thing and I will stand by my friends and I'm loyal cuz I'm a man. <laughs> you know. <Yeah>. That sort of <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is like that it's like you're there with the controller tears streaming down your face like this is the manliest game I've ever played like <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 absolutely like, my brothers wait. I will go to war with you yeah it's it's basically like that like <laughs> and I and yeah. I think that's why like there like there are people that really gel with that and others for who they're like oh this is just too much like yeah ridiculous I, I'm only. I, I've been also just complete, complete tangent. But I've been rewatching Lord of the Rings. But it's it's that it's the scene where Boromir is dying and and Aragorn is there and and Boromir is like, I would have gone to war with you, my brother, my captain, my I king. king. <laughs> <laughs> oh, doesn't Sean Bean just totally delivers in that though? And Viggo Mortensen. Oh, and. I'm welling up just thinking about it, Ken. Why have you done this? <laughs> that overly maudlin, like, yeah, my brotherhood, the it's like fellowship. An, it's like an episode of Mash, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but like very much those vibes, like you know, all. Yeah, all I can, those, I can like, see the, you know. I can, I can absolutely see the appeal of that. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Like I thought I felt a lump in my throat, but I just realized it was my Adam's apple. Like, just very, <laughs> very masculine. No, so, uh... Anyway, I think we should have a break. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. A very manly break. Yeah. To do manly things. Yeah, I need to stop chopping these onions and... Go dry oh, my yes. eyes. I need to go and call my brother and tell him that I love him. Uh... <laughs> We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back. We're refueled and refreshed and we're ready to get into the topic of the week. That's right. It's board games. All right. Uh, 
I can already feel Huso about to pick up the phone and lose it at me. So let's uh, let's quickly pivot. You know what I love about board games? That they're physical objects and I get to keep them forever. Unlike digital goods. Digital goods. Are they forever? Do we want them forever? Can we access them forever? This week we've got a big event in that the uh, the eShop is shutting down. You will no longer be able to purchase anything from the Nintendo eShop for the Wii U and the 3DS. It'll be gone completely. They've already wound up credit card purchases on it. You need to go in-store to buy eShop cards from your local retailer and then go onto a website to load that on there and then you can access it on the eShop. And that's going away. How crazy it is that right now you have to go into a shop to buy a physical thing in order to redeem a digital thing. It's oh, got yeah. it's got strong like uh, we will sign you up in thirty seconds, but you need to write us a handwritten letter uh, to unsubscribe. It's like it's like that weird logic of like, well, if we just make it really hard for people to use, then maybe they won't use it anymore. And then if they haven't used it in a long time, they won't complain as much when we say we're shutting it down. Yeah, so it's def- it's definitely a thing. It brings into question all these things around digital ownership. And just from my perspective, I've never been one of those people who's really comfortable with digital purchasing. I, I flat out refuse to buy digital music. I still buy CDs and I just rip them. Uh, I avoid buying digital games unless they're generally digital only or are basically 10% of the physical purchase price, like a steep discount for digital only versions of things. Uh, I'm not paying to rent digital movies or any of that sort of stuff. It's like subscription services, yeah, because, of course, it's kind of what you have to do now. It's the way the market has shifted. But I try to avoid digital purchase wherever because they just make me feel a little bit weird. Yeah. I don't know. How do we feel? Yeah. I think it's I'll... actually a really good I, sort of – the distinction between – like digital ownership and subscription that the line is so tenuous the line mm. is so like teeny it's so thin between between the two and you think that you're buying something but no you're not you're renting it you're renting it for the period of time until whoever sold you the sold you the right say um we're not going to support it anymore. The service is going down. And <clears throat> I think we have become just generally more com- – like I am more comfortable with the idea of a subscription service because I know that that is the nature of the transaction. Mm. Yeah, I, it already I, it already feels ephemeral. It doesn't feel like a, a thing that I'm holding on to. It, it feels like something that I'm going to use for a period of time and then that's it. Yeah. Um. Whereas if I buy a thing, I would think that that thing belongs to me. Um, but I think, you know, there are examples we can point to games that have gone off and, and disappeared and, you know, no longer available on any subscription service or any, you know, um, digital delivery service, digital platform service. It's like, where is the thing that I've bought? Yeah. I mean, go ahead, go I, ahead, Rob. I, yeah, you go, Rob. Yeah, so I mean, I think of this when this comes to mind. The the great example I always think about is I think about the early years of the the app stores. Um, I'm an iOS guy, so I because those because those early years, you know, those programs were cheap. You know, 
they push the market price really low to like at one or two dollars a game. And those were just unsustainable for those developers to keep those accounts up because they had to pay a, a yearly service fee to do that. So those games went and disappeared. And then as the platform evolved, they just killed off swathes of games. And and that's like that is that in principle oh so much because it's like, yeah, these things were cheap. There was never going to be a physical option because the platform doesn't allow it. And they just made it untenable for smaller niche things to to function. And in the process, I think they killed what was essentially a really good breeding ground for indie developers because the barrier was so low and they just killed it off because it's like the only way you can thrive is being a, basically a subscription service. Um, mm. Or affiliate with, you know, ridiculous numbers of freemium, a freemium, I was going to say the only other thing that seems to be work, be working on like Google Play or or the App Store now is just like all free to play, all like gotcha gotcha type games. Yeah, where it's just all those layers of the the, the worst pay to win freemium shit. Is, yeah, is what's 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 there now. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a massive shame. I feel because I feel that mobile, you know, a touchscreen you could do a lot of interesting things with. And I remember a lot of the early days of those ex- of more experimental games. And yeah, that's all. Most developers are not going to touch that now. And I think yeah. we've we've sort of lost the space. Um, and when you go for digital, like you know, I we were talking in the pre-show. A lot of a lot of games that I enjoy are more niche in nature, and a lot of those are only going to see release digital. Very few might get picked up for a, mm. for a limited run physical release through one of those boutique physical publishers. Mm. And so I wish I could live off the 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 approach that Steve's done, not not touching digital at all. But there's a lot of stuff I want to play that ends up like that. And it's really, like, it's really disappointing for things like, I mean, I get the economics of running the infrastructure. And it is, it, it sadly comes down to economics, you know. I mean, mm. I didn't get a chance to do a final run of buying stuff um, on the 3DS before before it closed down, yeah, which is um, – but, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that was unique. Like, you know, they had games on Virtual Console that never saw release in the West until coming out on Virtual Console. There were cool little experimental games like the um, – that were out there. And, yeah, most of that stuff's gone. And because of the 3DS being a fairly unique platform to play, you – people just aren't going to do that. and. Like, yeah, for me, it's like there's a massive wider issue that this opens up with preservation. You know, um, there was that chap, um, the completionist, who basically bought everything he could and donated systems to the Video Game History Foundation. So at least there are archives of those things out there. But most of those archives are not going to be playable by the common person. Mm. Eventually, maybe some of this stuff, you know, there's stuff happening in the US trying to make them accessible to researchers, but... It's really frustrating that, you know, that we do lose this history in a way because we've lost all these things. We've already lost a bunch from mobile. We're losing, going to lose another bunch now here. You know, we lose a bunch of stuff that sure it's, you get to the, the underground communities that preserve it. And that I feel is always just a worry because it's like, well, if it goes too far underground, then it's not going to be much use to people. Um, and that's that's where a lot of the concern for me comes in. It's like, sure, these things are going to happen. Like, just because the 3DS isn't supported anymore 
I'm not going to throw this away. I still enjoy playing on it. I want to go back and try and finish Etrian Odyssey. I'm told. I know that the remake is coming on the DS, but I'm told it has the extra stuff, and that's not coming in the in the the new version. Um, and uh, that's those were definitely a series that benefited from that dual screen. It, it brings up lots of issues. Like we already had, had seen the the mobile app issue when the old generation of phones died out, and all those Java games were basically yes. killed. Um, and obviously there's so many things that tie into that, like platform obsolescence, planned obsolescence of platforms. Uh, mm. and not only that, but obviously like when we're talking about preservation, a lot of rights issues come into that and particular companies, uh, obviously are obliged to defend, uh, their rights, even though they don't necessarily care about that product. Um, they cannot set a legal precedent for not vigorously defending yeah. their copyrights and trademarks. trademarks. Which, you know, everyone everyone always likes to point at Nintendo, but that don't necessarily understand that. My understanding of the way the US court system works especially is that if you do not defend your trademarks and copyrights, it sets a precedent whereby if something you actually do care about is going on, they can turn around and be like, well, you haven't cared about all these other things, so you can't now care about this thing. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like basically evolving that framework to allow for preservation in the hands of like researchers and whatnot i think that's that's one of the things where the challenges come from and that's where like a lot of the stuff that's been happening in the last couple of weeks with the internet archive um the 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 case with those book publishers and it's like that could set a precedent that that could mean things are, are dangerous there um that's something you know there's a lot of it's it's one of the frustrations that law hasn't really had a chance to catch up with digital marketplaces and, and how to do that. Because it's like, again, it's fair enough that these things are going to, they're going to live their life eventually and shut down. It's a way of making sure that people who have bought, who have purchased, you know, a license, rented a license, still have access to it for as long as possible. You know, like until the last 3DS dies, people should still be able to access their purchases where possible. And that's hmm. the thing that's, that's challenging right now. Um, and it's like, how do you handle that? Yeah, because, uh, like, obviously they always promise, oh, you'll still be able to download all your games, you'll still be able to download all your games, but w- eventually there's going to come a day where they say, you, we're not storing this data on yeah. a server. And that's the thing, is it? I mean, it's dependent on conditions that you, the consumer, have no control over. Exactly. It's, oh, you know, conditional on the developer supporting it, conditional on the rights in the right hands it's conditional on on just like it it's conditional on their particular mood at that time it's like yeah, yeah like yeah i don't feel like doing it anymore yeah tough yeah soz. yeah <laughs> it's, it can be as as it can be as nonchalant as that it's like yeah i don't really feel like doing it anymore yeah um, i mean and of course you know the platform holder may still support things, but if the if a developer goes bust yeah. legally, can they can the platform vendor keep that title up there, even though yeah. they want to? That's where you get like you know what happens with transfer of rights. You know when that company shuts down, who's taking over? Like that's a whole bunch of that's a whole kettle of, of fish that needs to be dealt with. Um, and I and think yeah, as you 
you've touched on like the issue of some of these games are only having digital releases. So you take something like the Forza Horizon series, which always um, gets sunsetted every two years, I think, after it's released. Um, one, because they want you to buy the new one. Two, because that's about as long as they pay their music licensing for. So my understanding is a lot of the time the Forza games get pulled because they don't want to renew music licenses. They pay mm-hmm. less money to license that stuff for a shorter period of time. So it means that the only way you can get Forza Horizon 2 and 3 at this point is by going out and buying physical copies of that. But naturally, you cannot buy any of the DLC because it's no longer purchasable on the store. Mm. So you have to hope that if they release an Ultimate Edition, that shit's actually on the disc, which, as we all know, um, friend of the podcast, uh, Lance McDonald, Man Fight Dragon, is an avid supporter of Game of the Year editions and sort of those collector bundles actually having the shit on the disc and it mm. not just being a download code in a box with the base game disc. Yep. So yeah, what that- happens to these digital-only games that aren't successful enough to get a, you know, a limited run uh, by any of these smaller niche companies that put together the funds to well, do a 500 what, or a 1,000 or 5,000 order print run. Yeah, what, what my, one potential sort of thing that could happen is people are still selling PS4s with the PT demo installed. <laughs> yeah, um, I, ha- I had a PS4 with the PT demo. I traded it in. I let it go. I had uh, I realized I didn't want to sell someone my PlayStation account, which is basically what you had to do to sell those things anyway. Um, and that was not worth it for me. But two, I guess it just calls into question, is gaming, and by extension a lot of our hobbies, are we just all being too precious about them? We need to realize that all of this shit is ephemeral and it doesn't actually matter in 50 or 100 years outside of sometimes when it does. We look at how film and television, all these other artistic mediums that have really only developed over the past 100 or less years, lost so much of their early work because people saw it as not important. Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. You know, um, I think, we, we again, we were talking something about the idea that, you know, not every, like, your, your intro here, you know, not every board game is good or every old game is good so it's like we can't on one hand we want that experience to be able to show the path but on the other hand most people are not going to touch it after after their platform does its life sign you know how many people i think that's the dirty secret about all these industries rob is they need you to keep buying new stuff (laughs) yeah because if all we did was play the old stuff all of these companies would go out of business I mean, oh, yeah. there is a, there is a thing to be said, and, and this is, I think, like perhaps a touch philosophical. There is a thing to be said about letting things die, letting things just have their time in the sun and then letting them <clears throat> sort of go to their graves and letting them die and letting, you know, they've had their time. And yes, there is a, there is a place and a time for that. I think the biggest challenge one of the big challenges is like there are barriers to accessing some of those things should we choose to and those barriers are ones that we put up ourselves like us collectively as you know it's companies and rights and all of these mm-hmm. things these are barriers that we've put for ourselves um we talk about games like for oh, um, Forza Horizon, like only ever, only ever having um, music rights for two years. Um, 
you know, some companies are grappling with that in a way where it's like, okay, let's then use license free license free music, or alternatively go the other way around and and get rights in perpetuity. Like there are ways around like very specific issues, and 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 it's about whether we choose to go down those routes in a way that eases access to them in five years, ten years, twenty years, whatever the time frame might be. Sure, like for example, like we play role playing games now, right? Um, and you know, all the games that we play, all the role-playing games that we play now are inspired or influenced by, say, StarCraft or WarCraft. And all of those games are inspired by Dune 2. Um, the Dune 2 game in, <laughs> on consoles in, like, 1992 or something like that. And, you know, how many people right now would ever have played Dune 2? Or Herzog Zue, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, Herzog, I think that's... That's a constant question with some of these technology-driven platforms like film and television and video gaming is that the technical constraints can mean that things can be superseded very easily and that if we're in that really postmodern idea of we're just remaking the same shit over and over again and remixing it and everything's already been done, then you're right. Why the hell would you ever play Dune 2 when you could play June 2, but it came out in 2023 and it's building mm. off the same principles. And I guess maybe if you really need the June IP, because that's the thing you like about that game, then it, it's very difficult. It's like, you know, why would I watch Citizen Kane? There are drama films that are made these days that are, you know, semi-legitimate, semi somewhat autobiographical, you know, portraits of, I mean, Orson Welles being a giant douchebag. Like... <laughs> Why, like, why would I go back and watch that? And I think it's a very difficult question to answer in some cases. Like, why would I go back and play a boomer shooter from 20-odd years ago when I could play Proteus, if that's what it's doing? Why would I go back and play DuckTales on the NES if I can play Shovel Knight? Why would I go back and play these older games if we've got better, quote-unquote, versions of them? Yeah. That, I mean, go ahead. Sorry, go, go, go. I, I was going to say it's it's ultimately about the lessons that we can learn from these because uh, games, games, movies, art, they are a product, but they are also an expression. The expression of ideas, their expression of you know, they, they are a product, and they are they are an art piece at the same time. There are cons- uh, so many of these things are both, and one on one hand you want to preserve you know crucibles of ideas these games these movies you want to preserve them because these ideas are worth passing on and they were products of their time um but they are worth learning from right but at the same time they're also commercial products governed by rules and laws that of that time and whatever rules and laws are of this time. So it's like, in order to answer this question, it's like, you're going to have to navigate a philosophical question of like, what is this thing? Is this a commercial product or is this like art or like, what is that? And, and that is 
a, a fundamental like tension that exists with games uh, in, in in its present form, and I think a lot of where we are, are right now with the big commercial games is that they are very much commercial products. They're very much commercial products controlled by corporate interests, capitalism, you know, all of that stuff, but they are very much commercial products. They're meant to extract out of the audience and the consumer as much money as they can. Um, whereas we've got games like, uh, we have developers, independent developers, where it's more about the expression of ideas, expression of emotion and ideas, and that's the other way around. And that's on the other end of the scale. And there, the, and, and going back to those early days of of the iOS platform, there was a period of time in which, like those, could coexist. You could have you could have a massive platform with all these, with all these weird and wonderful ideas that's just like everywhere. Like, I can't play Tilt to Live anymore. I'm very sad about that. Like, and that and was a good one. That was a great one. And Cannonbolt. Like, how am I going to get Cannonbolt anymore? I believe Cannonbolt's oh. still running. I have to check. I Worst don't case know. Scenario. I'd have Worst to case, check. Yeah. I mean, um, maybe the Flash version's still around. Maybe the Flash version. I was going to think probably the Flash version, but it's definitely not working on my, on my like, iPhone. Well, my the, the last iPhone I had was iPhone 3, and... And, and even Flash you have to emulate these days. Like, yeah. No, that's true. Dead as well. <laughs> so, and I don't know, I guess it's, it's interesting question, isn't it? Like, how do we reconcile all of these feelings? And yeah. like my, my recognition that my need to own things is probably illogical in and of itself. Like, uh, I'm what? It's, I'm like a miniature version of a pharaoh and I'm just surrounding myself with riches <laughs> for when, when do I plan to use any of that stuff? So, um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's tricky. And I guess maybe part of it, and this, uh, this is just me riffing, but maybe part of it is because I don't necessarily see a value in digital goods. It doesn't hold value for me. If I want to show something that I care about it, I need to have it in a physical format. Yeah. You know, like... Um, it's almost like I'm uh, honoring it in some way. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I, I, I sort of thing, like I've worked on, um, some of my, some of the things I've worked on, right. When I was doing a lot of mobile development of, of app projects, a lot of that stuff was temporary. Like it was for a campaign and it's gone. And it's sort of like, that's a bunch of time in my life that I spent building that. And it's not around anymore mm. because it served its purpose. So it's just like, that's like a void now because I can't go, I worked on this thing. Here it is. Yeah. Um, that's a very, I mean, that's a very different angle compared to what you both are going to be able to experience because it's like, we have that thing of experiencing, you know, it's experiences of our life. You know, we play these games, we watch these shows, we attend these concerts, we, we do things to mark. And, you know, it's to sort of mark our own passing of our experiences of what our life means to us. And I think that's like, you know, when I can go look on the shelf and look at like, oh, here's a bunch of games I finished. You know, I've, I, you know, I'm sure we all try to keep the lists of games we play and beat in a year. 
You've got a shelf of games you've finished? What's your secret? <laughs> uh, I, I, actually, I don't. I was making a facetious point, but yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have a list in a notes file that's sort of like, I have an, 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 in, an, in my notes thing. It's like, here are the games I finished last year. Here's the ones I finished that was just for me, for me playing them for no other reason. Here's the ones I finished because I did a review. Here's the ones I finished because I did it for a video or I was on stream. So sort of acknowledging because I don't, you know, want to play more stuff for myself and not just for making stuff to talk about kind of thing. Um, but I think that that's a very important factor that is worth acknowledging. You know, we're acknowledging that, that, you know, the impact that this culture has on us, you know, and I know some people will dismiss games as, as not worth much, but it's like they are part of our culture, even simple bang, bang boomer shooters or whatever. You know, it's something that people have created that we've experienced that we've enjoyed. It may not be the kind of indie experience to give you, you know, true heartfelt feelings like some of the most poignant works, but a thrill of fun and enjoyment is still an important feeling. And so I feel, you know, watching these marketplaces shut down and these things become inaccessible, it sort of removes part of access to those. This sounds like Ken sort of intimated before all of, all of this is art married to commerce. Like there are both sides of it. If, like, wouldn't a true artiste then find some other way to get their work to the, you know, the the unwashed masses, so to speak? But obviously it comes down to, for a lot of them, it's very realistic. Like, it would cost me more money to get this onto something else than it would to just let it die. Yeah. You know, development, porting from one platform to another, even with your Unreals, your Unities and all of that, it still takes time and it still takes work and it may not recoup that cost. Again, commerce, late stage capitalism strikes again. We value digital games and physical games differently. Like just personally in a, like, do you feel like you ascribe less value to your digital game collections? Um, for me, no. Um, but, I've also always been on the I don't like physical things. Um, I don't like stuff in my cupboards. I don't like stuff on my shelves. Um, in my perfect, in a perfect world where magic exists, everything in my house would exist in like a, the bag of holding. The Mary like, Poppins bag. You just yeah, pull it out when you yeah. need it. <clears throat> so just I just can pull exactly what I need out of the air. And I can search for it. Like in my perfect world, I can Google for things in my home. And I'm like, where are my keys? And I'm standing in the middle of my kitchen. Where are my keys? I reach out into the air and just pluck it out from the end. It's my perfect world, right? Where there is no difference between a physical item and a digital item. Like the world where Star Trek, the next generation, where you can energize everything. Um, you replicate it. You're replicating, like everything can be replicated and everything can then be di- disintegrated back into its base materials and then just replicate it again. Like that would be my ideal. Um, but so many, so much of the ways I experience games is through the playing, right? And, and, and through the actual act of do using the game uh, actively engaging with the game um i don't derive p- 
pleasure or enjoyment or appreciation from from the thing sitting on my shelf. Mm. Um, looking over it every so often doesn't give me that 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 a, a, any or very little sort of satisfaction. It's it's the playing of it. So. And and I know that games, because games ultimately is a digital medium. Like you have to experience it through a digital platform. And when I say digital, as I meant like electronic, it's got to be a PC mm. or a console or something. Like you can't actually experience the game without some type of interface, right? Unlike a book. Where you can just pick it up and read it, or a piece of like art where you can just use your eyes to look at it. Like games, you do need an in- interface. You have to interface with it through a PC or a console, a 3DS, a PS4, whatever it is. So ultimately, the experience is a digital one, and the physical item provides add-on pleasure, like. A steel case, that's kind of nice sometimes. A fold-out map, all right. Um, sitting on the shelf with um, all three other games in that franchise, and they all have the same box size, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Sure, I can, I can sort of understand that, but the experience of the game is still in the playing it. Um, and so from that perspective, like I don't ascribe additional value to a physical item of a game, a physical rendition of a game, of a video game, right? This is, again, different. I think this is by conversely be opposite when it comes to board games because board games are tactile. Like, it has to be on the table. You have to touch it. That's part of the pleasure is the touching it. And that's why I don't really enjoy digital renditions of board games because that isn't a key element of the experience is gone. Um, it's a great way to learn rules. It's a great way to have rules enforced, but I think you lose something fundamental to the experience. Like, so conversely board games, I far prefer something physical. So I would buy like heaps and heaps of board games, um, physically, I would not buy heaps and heaps of video games physically. Um, books, I would far rather buy physical rather than digital because, again, that's part of the experience. I think, like, in my mind, I've reconciled the type of experience I want from a particular type of medium. And, and so... I'm okay with books and graphic novels to be physical, and I would pay money for that. I I would not pay money for a Comixology or a Marvel Unlimited like subscription because like I want to read the comic book guy. I want to read it in my hand. I want to like take it out gently out of the plastic bag and you know open it ever so gingerly so I don't crease the pages. That's part of the experience. That's not something I'm like. I don't want to just be scrolling off the CBR reader on my on my desktop. <laughs> so I've reconciled at least for me I've reconciled with like yeah the type of experience I want and, and how I choose to interact with that experience and there's some part of that experience that is that is in- inherent to the medium in which it inha- inhabits and I think video games are digital 
How does that um how's how does that um track for you, Rob, as someone who has a huge interest in retro video games especially and often uh it is the physical nature of those that drives um their cost in a lot of ways. I mean, the cost factor which it means that there's titles I'd love to get that I can't get a hand on in their original form. Um, it's just prohibitive. But there is that thing, the, the tactile thing, like, it's one thing putting a disc, you know, I got my PS5 behind me, putting a, a disc into a, into a slot rather than even just putting it onto a, onto the spindle of like a, of a, I have a PlayStation 2 sitting next to me, uh, PlayStation 2 Slim. So I've got, you know, putting it on the, on the spindle better, just putting it into a slot. Or like throwing a cartridge into a console compared to like throwing a, you know, an SD card like thing into a switch. Um, when it's a chunky cartridge or even like loading a cassette tape, a game off a cassette tape, like having to wait is part of that experience. It's um, like ritualistic. It is. Yeah. A ritual. I, I, will, I will absolutely grant you that because there is nothing like, like sticking a old NES cartridge and then just try to slide it in like horizontally in and then down a little bit into the machine. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, that, like that aspect to it. But then you get things like taking notes. Um, I was playing a game not too long ago where I physically had a notebook next to me and I was writing down um, a bunch of stuff so I could sure keep that. track of it. I'm sure that game also came with an instruction manual, which yeah. weren't those nice. Like, my one of my favorite examples is Falcon 4.0, which the special edition came in a binder because it was, you know, several hundred pages, and it was a binder that you could rest on your lap in front of you, while you were in front of your PC playing it, like going through the procedures. Like, there are games where having a manual is essential, and I think it's something... It's one of those things I feel we've lost mm. in some regard because it's like modern games have better accessibility, but sometimes I feel like I just want to sort of read and I, I, I don't want it spelled out every single step. I, 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 there's a balance to that, and I feel we swung too far the other way in some I, capacities. I will, I will say I very fondly remember, I very fondly remember reading um, – looking at the Dark Forces 2 manual, mm-hmm. and then it it describes all the different enemy types in there and, and like, the lore behind them. Like, there's a... I can't remember. All the various troopers that you see in Dark Forces 2. Um, and, yeah, and the lore that's attached to it. It's like, oh, okay. Alright. And that, that was at a period of time I did not have a PC. So mm-hmm. the only way I could engage with that game was through its manual and imagining what it would like be like playing it in my head because I couldn't actually get to play it. Um, oh yeah, I mean one of my one of my favorite feelies that I loved is with the original Wing Commander. You had blueprints of the craft you flew that were for copy protection, but they were like really nicely drawn blueprints. You know, I would if I had spares of them, get that framed and hung on the wall because they were cool ship designs. And it was sort of cool from a, like, a feelies angle, just making something unique. And I miss that sort of aspect of in-universe delivery of how to play the game. You know, like, Wing Commander famously, the instruction manuals were sort of like a magazine, in the form of a magazine that crew members of the ships were given, pardon me, that sort of, you know, explained all the stuff. And it was sort of in-universe. And it, it gave it a little character that started before you got home and installed it onto your computer. 
Um, and again, that's another thing I think we, we miss in, in modern experiences that, you know, a fully digital experience takes away from because, you know, you just click install on Steam or on your, your Xbox or PlayStation or your, your Switch and it's just like you just watch a bar fill. Why can't we have fancy installers for downloaded games from digital storefronts? It's no longer insert, insert disc one off eight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember like PC, a few PC games from like the early 2000s where you, you put your CD-ROM in or your DVD and while it was installing, the installer ran custom, you know, it was having a custom soundtrack playing, got you in the vibe. It wasn't just the normal Windows installer. It was like skinned and themed a bit. I'm like, why can't these platforms let this happen? Not everyone has to do it, but sometimes it would be nice. Or am I just being? Or am I just being old? Uh, and it, again, we'd have to ask someone much younger who's probably not grown up with such a prevalence of physical media. Mm. Um, obviously, current digital pricing means that physical is still a very popular option for modern video games, since it's always cheaper to just buy the physical copy. Uh, nine times out of ten, anyway. So, and I'll admit that's part of the reason why I'm still driven to buy physical games when I do buy games is because. I'll check the store prices and it's sometimes nearly double to buy the digital version of the game than just to roll down the JB Hi-Fi or EB on release day and pick up a physical copy, which, you know what, retains value because it's a digital license. I can't transfer it. That's it. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is absolutely something to be said, like um, a digital game and then the ridiculous amounts, the ridiculous ways they try to sell you all the, like pre-order DLC and like the collector's early access collectors <laughs> found this premium edition where for like another $30 will give you more digital shit yeah um, more skins I'm like great thanks and more skins and our premium currency in-game currency like fuck you it's, it's very much like the like the kickstarter board game angle of hey um buy the deluxe edition with five of the expansions included we know you're not really sure if you're gonna like the game yet but we've got way more of it for you yeah yeah it's, it's, it it strikes for that fomo Hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think but, one thing which is which doesn't work digitally because there's an infinite number of copies available. So, yeah. like, digital FOMO is a joke. Like, I'm sorry, NFT people, you're crazy. Like, <laughs> like you can't. When I can yeah. copy, when I can copy and paste digital things, there's no such thing as FOMO. That's right. Like, click right. Click the save, save as JPEG. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. There is one thing, and I perhaps you know, near the end of our, our, our discussion here, like, and, and you just touched on it, um, Stephen, which is like physical items do often retain their value. And mm. there is a secondary market. Like if you which bought has, a... Br- has gone crazy. I don't know what the current generation of, I don't know if whether it's millennials or Gen X or Gen Y or whoever it is, but you people have led me to sell a lot of my collectibles for disgusting sums of money over the past few years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but you could, like, effectively... Like, I mean, there was a period of thing, there was a period of time where EB rent was a thing. Hmm. Um, where you buy a game and you return it within seven days, no questions asked, and they'll just give you a full, full refund. They still um, do that, and it's ten days if you're a level four. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. That's that's how long I have not bought something from EB Games. But 
yeah, if you were an enterprising, very hardworking person, you could play very, very many games for very little money. <laughs> with a lot of free time, few responsibilities. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you had few responsibilities. I ain't my twenties anymore. Yeah, no, no absolutely no. But I, you know, like I, that's physical items still retain some semblance of value um, and desirability, and maybe not to myself, but there is obviously you know a huge secondary market, a huge uh, market for 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 used games, rare games, you know, and that sort of thing, and. If you're smart, like I said, if you're smart about the way you use your money and the way you buy things, you could, yeah, pick up a game, play it. And even if you don't finish it within the seven or 10 day EB games uh, return policy, a half a year later, you sell it on. You're still going to get like maybe half your money back. Um, and if it's something rare and highly desirable, you might get more than that. <laughs> Mm. Um, you know, there is value and, and there is, yeah, there's in, there is still market value, um, attached to physical items that digital, like digital items is like the the car you bought off the lot. Like it, it just, the moment you buy it, it just, it's just plummets to zero. But it is interesting, isn't it? Because we do have people like, oh, I'll sell you my account because I have these rare items on here that are purely rare because they're not transferable. Like, uh, you know, the company that shall not be named released it for a week 12 years ago and you can't get it anymore. Or it was tied in with this weird physical product that the codes expired several years ago and all of these other kind of weird ideas about digital rarity that... Oh, can I tell you a thing? This, this is this is This is funny. Um, funny in a tragic way, <laughs> like many, 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 many years, like many years ago, a full decade ago, I put some sums of money into Star Citizen. Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I can still download a semblance of a game. So, you know, look, but um, obviously, you know, games have been in development for the last like decade you it's got the hell there ken development hell for the past decade. development hell oh, yeah it's, it's just ridiculous like I, I i was for quite a long time a star citizen apologist i'm now just i guess a survivor <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite to the other end where i'm an antagonist but i'm just like i'm i'm the ptsd like survival survival i have point. to imagine there are some people working at that company that are just banking on that game never releasing because as long as it keeps going they've still got a job yeah 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 no, <laughs> it's, absolutely. Not a, it's not a bad move i mean i'm in the same boat i remember getting enough to at least because I, I all i wanted was the single player game because i don't really play massively online stuff yeah. and it's just like yeah. I don't care about the massive stuff. All the systems, I don't care. Yeah. Just give me that nice single-player experience. But, yeah. Meh. How much I, did you spend on yeah, your ship, but, Ken? Okay. So, so um, <laughs> I bought two ships, right? And uh, the first ship that I bought was just a starter pack, which is like just the starting, which is the cost of the game. Mm. And then the second ship um, was a couple hundred dollars. Two hundred dollars, right? Two hundred US. Oh. Which, which back then was lot. probably two hundred dollars, and now it's more like three to four hundred dollars. 
Um, because of what I bought then and the various like accoutrements for that particular version of that particular digital item, there is a whole gray market. Um, and, and Star Citizen themselves have, has enabled you to transfer ownership of digital items from one account to another. So you don't have to sell your account. You can transfer ownership of digital assets. Mm, I'm sure they wet right. their beak on that as well. Do they take a little they, fee off the top? Actually, they don't right now. Right now, they don't. Mm, I, I'm sure. That's shocking. I'm sure I that guess... at some point. I'm yeah, sure at some point when the game like comes out in like a more fuller version that will be part of like the marketplace. But mm. right now they've enabled sort of account to account transfer. But um, a real money auction house, you say? Mm. Mm. So I have I have been sort of every so often looked into like okay what would it take? It's it's quite a few steps. So Ken, to... what I'm hearing now is you're actually an investor. You're you're yes. not a rube. You're not a no. rube who got the wall pulled over his eyes by Star I, Citizen. You're you're just uh, have, biding your I, time. I have the equivalent of a, like a ten year old NFT. <laughs> oh, oh, oh gosh oh gosh how do, which how, I, how only... do I control c control v that ship ken oh no which now just like sounds so dirty now that i'm actually saying it out loud i'm like oh shit. all right <laughs> i mean oh, no. we never thought that it was going to take this long for that game to be at a state and yeah at least it's not on the blockchain. <laughs> At least it's not on a blockchain. Yeah. Have you, so when, was the last time you, when was the last time you checked the value of your ship, Ken? What are you sitting on right now? Oh, actually, I should take a look. I should retirement I should, nest egg. <laughs> I should absolutely take a look. Um, Don't worry, honey. I put all our savings into Star Citizen. <laughs> you got to sell your your Star Citizen futures on January one, not January two. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm still looking. What, where is it? Hmm. You, you all should continue talking. Well, I, I was sort of thinking about the point that you made before, Ken, that for you, like the, the value in a game is the playing of the game and not necessarily the product on the shelf. And it makes me wonder if I'm not sort of stunted in my development as a human being to put so much stock into a thing on a shelf to the point that in some ways I probably value the box on the shelf more than the experience, the contents of the box gives me, which uh, is maybe something I need to talk to somebody about. I don't know. (laughs) But I think that's something that we can all sort of recognize in us is that that ir- it's like a really weirdly like maybe even primal irrational need to hold on to things and have a physical manifestation of something that means something to us or meant something to us because it can't hold value outside of that physical product like if i don't have the product suddenly that experience is worthless to me how does that work yeah yeah no i get it because yeah it, like i think it's something that i did touch on earlier about that aspect of like being able to enshrine all the memories of the experience, whether playing, watching, whatever, into something physical. Because it's like you can look at that and go, yeah. I mean, uh, that, is, that is absolutely a common and valid, you know, like like ex- ex- expression of your experience. I mean, that's why people build memorials and statues hmm. and shit. Like, 
because there was a they're trying to remember a particular event or a time or something momentous and if you had a particularly personal memorable moment and you wanted to capture it you know why not have a physical monument effectively to it um oh yeah yeah it's like i'm setting myself up for my ozymandias style (laughs) comeuppance yeah yeah (laughs) um you know that's absolutely absolutely valid and 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 you know but I think that's kind of like you have to reconcile your sort of like experience of that particular game or experience or whatever it is. Do you think that those sorts of feelings are probably more innate in some of the hobbies that we're involved in and or tangentially related to? Like nostalgia is huge for quote unquote nerd culture and more recent generations seem far more afflicted by the rose uh, tinted glasses, so to speak. Mm. So do you think maybe it's, I don't know, is it a combination of personality types and industry encouragement that, you know, has led us to things like fucking Funko Pops? Like, oh. what is it? Yeah. No, because I wonder, because it's like, I used to remember going to co- conventions and stuff and you'd find a lot of unique stuff in, in store holders. And then at one point it just shifted to being like, I remember, like, at the same con, but, like, a, the following year, it's like, no, it's mostly Funkos. It's just like, that's not what I want. And what yeah, I, 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 Sorry for another tangent, but what I find most confusing about Funko, Funko Pops is that why Funko Pops when there's such things as Nendo, Nendo droids, which are far superior as, like, oh, yeah. tiny, chibi, like, collectibles? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's no competition. Like why the fuck would I want like this stubby little thing that can't articulate, like physically articulate, when Nendo droids are so fucking cool. I have I a strong it's feeling muscle. it's yeah. I not even marketing. I reckon there's a huge um, difference between the retailer markup and profit on a an inner droid than uh, what they are buying and selling Funko Pops for, as well yeah. as what Funko are producing those things for. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. And how long do you Quality think it takes them to put together a Funko Pop design, Ken? 20, 30 minutes? Maybe. I know. I know. But really, like, there's nostalgia, right? But, like, come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's, I think, I think there's a huge prevalence as well. And this is definitely touching on me in terms of, like, wanting to own physical things. Oh, these things become manifestations of our personality and us as a person. So they're not just games on my shelf. That's me on my shelf. Look at me. And I think it's something that I know I've been trying to work on as well myself, but sort of that decoupling that has to happen where you derive value from the things that you enjoy. So, and obviously it's very much encouraged by the board gaming industry and the video gaming industry and every industry. Look at sports teams, for example, that you need to derive value and self-worth out of your interests. And how can you better express that? And then by spending money on it to show other people that that is you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's definitely, that's definitely more late stage capitalism in action than, than ever before. Hmm. And maybe that's another weird reason why I, I feel like I need to own physical products because I can't. What am I going to whip out my Steam library to show people? Like, what do you think of this? <laughs> yeah, flick, 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 flick. I don't Check know, man. Out. It's just it, it, conversely, it's just easier to hide the crazy. 
It is like <laughs> I know. That's a like point. my wife has no idea about the depths depths of my Steam library depravity and the unplayed games in there, but she sees the board games on the shelf and she's like, "I bet you haven't played that one in like a year." Shut up! Like, have you ever had to like time your deliveries so that they arrive I, at home? I may have timed myself getting home earlier some days in order to avoid uncomfortable questions around the amount of packages that are out the front of my house. But haven't we all at one point or another had to do that? Or haven't we all diverted things to our workplace so that um, they don't arrive at our home? Guilty as charged. (laughs) Uh, I'm only laughing because I don't want to admit it. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to say it out loud I don't want to it's funny because it's true post your next door I'll take it over later that's what I'm going to do there's been some kind of mix up at the board game outlet I don't know how this has happened to me again but I'm onto it anyway I hope you are sitting there with some deep, deep thoughts about uh, your need for physical ownership or lack thereof. Uh, Who do you agree with more? Are you siding with myself, Rob, or Ken? Uh, If there is any sort of comment, if you can tag us on Twitter, if you'd like to do any of those things and share your thoughts with us, please do so. Uh, Rob, where can people find you? Okay. um, Obviously, for Twitter, it's uh, my full name, Rob underscore Caporetto. They'll be linked in the show notes, as usually happens. Um, you can also find my video series, um, youtube.com slash at beyond the scan lines, where I do looks at old games and new games for old hardware um, with sort of an eye of like, hey, some stuff that's interesting. I just put out a video looking at the um, some of the games from the Arcade Archive series that you'll find on Switch or PS4 that are a little interesting. And... Um, I did add, I was on uh, Dev Diary, Paul's podcast last week, um, talking a lot about my background as a dev, as a video maker, and as a writer creative. So um, check the player two feeds for that as well. Um, yeah, that's that's all my stuff. <laughs> Fantastic. Ken, where can uh, people find you these days? Is there anywhere that we should be forwarding our giant boxes of uh, mechs uh, that you absolutely didn't order? Yeah. Oh, yes. So. Um... Follow me at Pixel Hunt on Twitter. Uh, I think I've got a couple of, I've got at least one player to play video that is coming up soon. I blame Paul, or I, I blame Paul, but also appreciate Paul for doing that stuff. But also we all, we him. all, we all blame appreciate Paul. Blame appreciate. Hmm. That's a new term. I'll have to keep it new- <laughs> <laughs> in mind. <laughs> Um and yeah, that's pretty much it. And um, I am Gorath forty four thousand on Twitter, and I also uh, very rarely post on my board game Twitter, which is no uh, shelf control. Um, there's an underscore in there somewhere, but I can't remember where it is. Uh, and uh, please do not forward me any more board games. Uh, I do not need that hassle in my life. Thanks so much for joining us on uh, Play 2 Pixel Cast episode 105, and we'll catch you when we're looking at you. Bye. Bye.
Like, we got, we got deep. We got some <laughs> Oh yeah. Deep, deep thoughts about why do I have so many boxes of things on the shelf?